Let's begin with prayer. Father God, we praise your holy name for how good you are, for your salvation, for your holiness, for worship, for being able to stand before you and worship. You've made that possible through Christ. We can come before you. We have forgiven us of our sins. You watched over us. And I pray, Lord, as we look ahead to 2023, that we would look to you and to glorify you in all that we do. Bless us as we look into your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the first day of the new year. And this century is almost a quarter years old, a quarter years old, right? Almost 25 years. Well, if you look at our world today and you see a lot of things that are happening, you see misery, you see triumph. I mean, we still have the uh, ongoing war with Russia and Ukraine. We have high inflation. We have global economic struggles. We have poverty on the rise. We have refugees fleeing their countries. We have immorality on the rise and celebrated. We also see a breakthrough and some of the scientific breakthroughs that are happening in our world today, such as uh, nuclear fusion, which will produce uh, unlimited energy to our power lives if that actually were to happen. The James Webb Telescope that is over 100,000 miles from the Earth looks deep into the universe to discover the galaxies that God had created. And Yale scientists were able to revive dead pig organs, interesting, that, which is a, re, uh, a breakthrough for transplant patients. I mean, we also have the church as it continues to break through uh, new people groups, bringing the gospel to them, translating the Bible into original languages to, or to the people in their language, and uh, building, planting churches all over the world, missionaries uh, um, speaking the truth of God's word. The church is continuing to move forward. But let's say we go back 100 years to 1923, and we see maybe a different world technologically, but maybe morally probably the same <laughs> in terms of who we are. So by 1923, the end of World War I uh, was, o- was over four years old. But due to the Versailles Treaty and its crippling demands of Germany and coal, timber, and other resources, Germany was becoming belligerent to the Allies generally and to France specifically, And so France occupied a section of Germany in January of 1923. Since in the eyes of the French, Germany was falling behind in reparation payments, and this caused workers to strike and to protest. And then Germany says, well, we're not going to give you any more stuff. And so you have this tension rise, and they produce less energy. And this caused a terrible reaction as the French then took over businesses and industry in that area, and this caused the German economy to crash And by November, the German mark was worthless. One American dollar would buy you four trillion marks. (laughs) You'd have to have a a a wheelbarrow, I think, just to carry your cash for one dollar. Warren G. Harding was the U.S. president, but he died in August of 1923, and Calvin Coolidge replaced him. Hitler tried to take over the government in November, known as the Beer Hall Push. He was later arrested in jail. The KKK was very influential in America. In fact, the governor of Oklahoma tried to curtail the efforts of the KKK, but he was impeached the following month for his efforts. And so you can see, fortunately, they're not as influential anymore. In 1923, Lenin suffered a third stroke and eventually died in, in January of 1924. In 1923, the tomb of King Tut was excavated, revealing its hidden treasures. W.B. Yeats, I believe is how you say his name, won the Nobel Prize in Literature. America was enjoying the economic boon known as the Roaring Twenties at the time. It was uh, enjoying that time of prosperity. Obviously, 1929 was on the horizon. 
a fad at that time, it was all the rage, was dancing until you drop. Some danced for 40 hours straight, 45 hours straight. In Cleveland, a woman tried to shatter the record of 52 hours and 11 minutes, and at the end, her ankles were swollen to twice her size. She had worn out five male partners, and her weight went from 113 to 89 pounds. Wow. <laughs> it's quite the... Those are some of the highlights of what was happening 100 years ago. And you can say, almost say, more of the same. (laughs) The world in which we live is filled with the same storyline and the same turmoil that churns, bubbles, and explodes. It reminds me of what we read in Matthew 24, uh, where there are those who are openly deceived. There are wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and natural disasters. We experience persecution, exploitation, betrayal, and false prophets. Lawlessness increases. Most people's love will grow cold. This is put on repeat, it seems like. Every generation produces this scenario. There's no human solution to stopping this cycle of chaos. And there's no human strategy strategy to stop the cycle, because every human solution creates more of this. We don't need more human endeavors, but simply trust the one who has saved us, healed us, and shown us the way, our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to appeal to the one who loves us so much. We need to believe without a hint of doubt, to fully know and believe with all our heart that our God can and does come through. He does come through. He is able. His arm is not too short. He can and will accomplish His will, and we can be part of this. So I say, let's hit the ground praying. Let's walk with confidence. Let us know, not just say it, but know in the very depths of our heart, very depths of ourselves, that our God is able, and He will come through. Let doubt not have a place, any place in your heart. Let us not even entertain doubt. We live in an evil age, as our history has proven. It's easy to get caught up in the here and now. We tend to give too much power to that which is contrary to God. We give too much authority and say, it cannot be beaten. The evil of this evil age cannot be beaten. It's too strong, cannot be curbed. In reality, that is the devil deceiving us. It's too easy to look at the power structures of our day and see where they're pointed away from God. And we look at our universities, we look at our government agencies, we look at our schools, our businesses, our armies, our countries, our neighborhoods. We see the direction where they're headed. We see what is popular. We see what is declared and allowed. And we see what is not allowed and not declared. We look at this and it says, cannot be beat. Cannot be stopped. But I'm here to tell you, our God is able. Our God will change hearts. He will beat back the tides of what is wrong and overcome the devil. It is God's agenda that wins out. Our God is trustworthy and true as we sing. His faithfulness is great. That's why our God is trustworthy and true. That's why we read in Colossians, it says this, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your mind on Him. And then the earth and all its power and its display of power will shrink. It's no match for the one who created the heavens and the earth. So I challenge you today, believe and do not doubt. Our God is able. He created the heavens and the earth. 
He is sovereign. He saved you by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to this earth to die on the cross. He rose again. Our sins can be forgiven. Our hearts can be changed. And his love can can be seen in us. If he can do all that, he is certainly trustworthy, true, reliable, and faithful. In the book of Mark, book uh, chapter 9, there's a distraught father, a very concerned father. This man is watching his son struggle. Most likely, if things do not change, his his son will die. This man's son has a demon. He's demon-oppressed. How this demon got into the boy, we do not know. Jesus has been performing miracles. As you read through the book of Mark, you see he's performing miracles of healing for some time now. Many have been healed uh, of their illnesses. Many have been set free from demonic oppression. Uh, many have been fed. Uh, just with a little bit of food, he fed them. Some have even been raised from the dead. He ruined three funerals, uh, we say. Christ is uh, true freedom. What, whoever he touches brings freedom. Whatever he says brings hope. Jesus always expected those who followed him to not doubt. He wanted them to live a life of faith. He wanted his people to not doubt. Yet he faced and encountered all the time doubt uh, in other people. When he calmed the storm, he looked at the frightened disciples and he asked, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? When Peter walked on water and began to sink, Christ raised him up and he said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Of course, I'd probably be doubting too. (laughs) I'm sinking. The religious leaders not only doubted Christ, but criticized everything that he did. They began to hate him, and they sought to kill him. And one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came up to him, testing him, and says, Do something in the sky for us, Jesus. Why were they asking that? It wasn't because they believed him. It wasn't because they upheld him. It was because they wanted to criticize him. And they said, Prove yourself, Christ. They, we demand of this of you. But when you approach God with doubt in your heart, demanding, he won't hear you because doubt is not what drives us to him, but away from him. You begin with faith when you approach God. If you begin with doubt and go to God with your doubt, your doubt will win out. And even if he performed a miracle right in front of you, you'd go, I didn't see it. Immediately after this event, when the Pharisees asked him to do a sign, Jesus got into boat, and Jesus was rather upset and frustrated about the whole episode. Christ does not like doubt. It's so destructive. And as he's with his disciples in the boat, they're headed to the other side, and the disciples realize, we forgot to pack lunch. And Jesus, looking at his disciples, says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they thought, that's a silent rebuke because we forgot the lunch. We forgot the lunch. Now, in my paraphrase, this is what Jesus said. Are you serious? You think I'm worried about bread after I fed 5,000 men and 4,000 men on a few pieces of food? That would be my paraphrase. In Matthew, however, we read, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Really? Jesus told his disciples, if If God so clothes the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? I'm beginning to think you men of little faith is the title he gave them. And it's not good to have that title if you're in the Jesus business. And it's not good for a church to be known as a church of little faith. Doubt has no place in our heart and... And we are to give no room for doubt to grow. 
Believe in the greatness of God's character and love, and do not doubt. Number one, ministry is messy. Ministry is messy. Let's look at uh, 914 through uh, 19. 914 through 19. When they came back to the, to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around him, them, and some scribes, some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began un, running to greet him. Running up to, and he asked them, "Where are you? Where, what are you discussing with them?" One of the crowds answered him, "Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute." And whenever it seizes him, it slams into the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So in 914, Jesus is entering a chaotic scene. You have the disciples that did not go with Jesus. They're very frustrated and distraught. Peter, James, and John had gone with Jesus. And you have the scribes are yelling at the disciples. You have this large crowd starting to form. It's a commotion. And prior to this, Jesus had uh, gone up to the mountain and where he had transfigured himself. Uh, his uh, garments became exceedingly radiant and white, basically blinding, very bright. Then Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus. The disciples were afraid. They were amazed. Then God the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Very booming voice. And, of course, Peter and James and John, they're all frightened. And then everything went back to normal. Whoa, what happened? What an amazing event. I bet the disciples' eyes were spinning. What just happened? It was a very powerful event. Jesus spoke to them on the way down. It sort of reminds me, you know, they had this really powerful event. kind of reminds me like when you're a teenager, uh, when you go to camp. You ever go to camp? And you go to camp and you're like... And you hear good music, and you're worshiping God, and you go up to the altar, and you pray, and you experience God in a new and fresh way, and then you go home, and all the things you're dealing with are waiting for you at the doorstep, saying, hey, welcome back. And the glory of the week just seems to fade. And here's Jesus having gone through this experience with his disciples. He spoke with Moses, Elijah, his father affirmed him. Then as he descends the mountain, from the mountain, people begin to demand of him, do something, Jesus. Scribes are criticizing him. Voices are shouting at him, do something, Jesus. It'd be tempting to walk back up the mountain. And when the Lord saw his disciples, he asked them that question. What are you discussing with them? But they don't answer. Instead, the father of the boy pipes up, and he says, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit which made him mute. And he tells and describes it and says, I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And then Jesus, in his exasperation in verse 18, says, oh, unbe- 19, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? What he's upset about is that unbelief and that doubt that is seen. To doubt him and unbelief is a strong stench and a pungent odor. So number one, Christ objects to unbelief. But this is the messiness of ministry, if you notice. When unbelief can cause issues, conflict, uncertainty, and fear. Conflict, I notice, is the seedbed of doubt. Conflict creates doubt. Uncertainty about your future is a seedbed of doubt. Fear is the product of doubt and unbelief. Doubt is the first issue that will arise when you deal with life and all that it could bring. It was the first sin of Adam and Eve when uh, Adam, when the serpent said, did God really say? See how doubt was created there. 
They doubted God's word, so they disobeyed him. They reached for something that wasn't offered because they doubted what he had promised, as if what he had promised wasn't good enough. Are you serious? You're made in the image of God, then the devil says, you'll be like God? What more? What more does God need to do? When you doubt, you're no longer content, and you're no longer thankful. This man is uncertain about his son. He sees him in pain and in dire need. I imagine he had attempted... Uh, much help from other people. I'm sure he sought out help from other people. And all fell. The boy still struggled. Then he saw Jesus' disciples and hope resurrected within him. Maybe they can help. I've heard about this guy. Where's Jesus? Well, he's not here. But Well, maybe you can help me. But when they went to help him, nothing happened. The boy was still oppressed with no relief in sight. Doubt is filling his mind. He's losing hope. He's struggling to believe. And when Jesus walked down the mountain, maybe, uh, maybe another glimmer of hope was produced. And the father's, maybe the father's accusatory when he talks to Jesus. I talked to your disciples. They couldn't do it. Maybe you can't do it either because you taught them. I don't know. Well, we know that in Mark 6 that Jesus sent his disciples out. The disciples were successful in casting out demons and healing the sick. What could go wrong? You have to realize that success is because of who God is, not because of anything in me. It's not my doing, but God's doing, as Zach had said earlier. Jesus um, objected to unbelief, for it denies God who he is. Believe and do not doubt because God's amazing goodness is greater than anything we could ever do. Number two, not an ounce of doubt. Let's look at verse 20. They brought the boy to him. When, they, when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood... It has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, in the book of Numbers, Moses is leading the people of God, the Hebrews, into the wilderness. And the wilderness is not a land of plenty. As you know, if you were to walk around in the sagebrush here, you would kind of get that idea too. Not a lot to eat there. Yet God wonderfully provided. He provided manna, he provided water, and uh, he cared for them in the hot sun. He walked with them in the desert. Then the people began to p- complain, I'm sick of this manna. All we eat is manna, 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 manna. Manna burgers, manna souffle, banana bread, manna loaf. No, they didn't make that. We want meat. They wanted meat. And then they said this. It was kind of funny. When we were, they didn't say it this way. I'm sort of elaborating what they said. When we were slaves and beaten, forced to work 15 hours a day, we had all sorts of meat. We had fish and cucumbers and leeks and melons and onions. It was so good. While we were slaves, beaten, worked 14 hours, you know, okay. And so God says, you want meat? I'll give you so much meat that you'll eat it for an entire month until you get sick of it. And Moses is going, wait, wait, time out here. Are you kidding me, God? Meat for 600,000 people? You can't provide that much meat. I mean, he didn't say it that way, but that's what he basically was saying. And the Lord says, imagine the Lord sighed heavily. (sighs) Maybe he did, I don't know. 
But he says this, is the Lord's power limited? In another translation, it says, is the Lord's arm too short? This is how we look at God at times. We look at him and say, can you really do that, God? Are you capable of doing this, God? Will you come through? Can I trust you? Is your arm too short, God? Will you? When you begin with doubt, okay, that doubt's going to win out. Get rid of doubt. Don't entertain it. Believe. Number one, acknowledge God. Acknowledge who he is and what, he, the word, what his word says. God, give him the credit. Worship him even when you're feeling down and struggling. A lot of times we entertain doubt because we prayed and our prayers were not answered, or at least not answered in the manner that we wanted. Because of this, we think, God, you won't come through if I go to you again. Unanswered prayers can create doubt. Yet the reality is, is that God is not a vending machine that you put a quarter in and out pops whatever you're wanting. And sometimes we look at God that way. The most important thing we are to understand about God is the relationship that he desires to have with you. God is not going to remove all the obstacles that we face. He's not going to remove all the persecution we encounter and all the evil that we may endure. But he has promised that he will walk with us through the valley of shadow of death. And we will not fear evil, for he is with us. He will be near us. He will give us peace in the midst of turmoil, joy in the midst of sorrow, guidance in the midst of uncertainty. Believe and do not doubt. Someone or some people brought the boy to Jesus. The boy went into convulsions. The demon did not like to be near Jesus. Christ makes evil uncomfortable. This is why a lot of people will push Christ away, because he will make you uncomfortable with the sin in your heart. But he will save you. You know, as I read the New Testament, I don't ever see demons going for the throat of Christ. I always see them trying to get away, running for the nearest exit. Christ has power over evil, death, disease, and hell. He has power over sin. Jesus saw the pain of the Father and the Son, and he asked, How long has this boy been like this? Since childhood, the Father answered, which means the boy is probably in his teens. The grip of Satan was strong on this boy. The demon's claws dug deep. And when the father answered Christ about the length of time the boy suffered, he said to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, I want you to notice the response of Jesus when he hears this. If you can, he's incredulous that the man would ask this or say this to him. If you can, all things are possible for him who believes. You see, the Lord Jesus did not have an iota of doubt in his body. Absolutely no doubt was entertained. Think of the smallest measurement we have, and even then, Jesus did not even have that in doubt. That is the intimacy he had with the Father. He never saw his Father as wanting or unable. He never went to him and said, Father, you know... (laughs) I don't trust you with this, but I'm going to ask anyway. No, he, he, had, he did not have an ounce of doubt. You may well say, well, that's Christ. He's God. I mean, why, why would he doubt? But he's human. He became human. Now he offers us to know the Father the way that he knew the Father. He was so trusting of the Father, he didn't doubt. He didn't have an ounce of doubt. Through the Holy Spirit, God has offered you to know no doubt and only trust. Believe God and do not doubt. 
You know, number two, help my unbelief. I love that statement. I do believe, Jesus. <laughs> help my unbelief. I think we should pray that every day. <laughs> help me, Lord. <laughs> what does it mean when the father said, I help my unbelief? The man was honest about his heart. I do believe, but there's unbelief in me. I have doubt. I struggle with trusting you at this moment. This must become our prayer. Lord, help me. Please. Lord, remove all doubt from my heart. I do not want it. I don't want to entertain any kind of doubt in my mind, heart, and soul. What causes doubt? When you're in pain or in misery, that can cause doubt. When a loved one dies, when you lose a job and uncertainty fills your heart, when you have unforgiveness, that is a lifestyle of doubt. When you're in conflict and don't seek reconciliation, that's a lifestyle of doubt. When your kids stray, when your marriage is struggling, when others attack you, when you watch the news <laughs> and see all the difficulties we're enduring and the immoralities that are stacking up, doubt can fill your heart. Now, I say this not so to make you feel bad, but to know this one simple and eternal truth. Regardless of what you may endure, there is a God who does love you deeply. There are people who love you. This church of people love you. The one thing the enemy wants you to do is to face your doubts alone. Don't do that. Don't face your doubts alone. Talk with someone. Pray with someone. We need each other. We need God in us needing each other. <laughs> Please do not doubt God's love. Do not face your doubts alone. His love is sure. His hope is certain. His guidance is true. Believe and do not doubt. Number three, stand on the solid truth of God's word. Me, uh, when Jesus saw the crowd, verse 25, saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? He told them, this kind can only come out. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. The Lord Jesus saw the crowd. It was growing. It was moving. Immediately, he rebuked the evil spirit. He called it out by name, deaf and mute spirit. The boy convulsed. The demon screamed and fled, and the boy looked dead. The demon left. Did the boy die? You see, doubt was offered as a solution to just what happened. You killed him, Jesus. But Jesus removed doubt, picked him up by the hand, and he was alive. Jesus is the one who removes doubt. Doubt had no place in Jesus' heart. Heart. He was not arrogant. He was confident. Jesus was confident, bold, and sure. He deeply and intimately knew the Father. This is the kind of prayer life that God has for you and me, to know God intimately. It begins with knowing God intimately and seeking Him diligently. When you pray, are you praying to a stranger? Or are you praying to your Father who loves you? How do you view God? Is He a mean tyrant looking to slap you upside the head just because you messed up? The enemy loves to accuse you. God frees you from condemnation. He wants you free. He has done all he can to free you through Christ. What more can he do? It is a sufficient what God has done. It's sufficient. 
He sent you Christ. He gave you the Spirit. He walks with you. He has revealed himself in his word to you. Look at what length God went to get you, to save you, to love you. Will you read the Bible and get to know who is this God who loves you so much? Number one, God wants to free you. So after the Lord Jesus set the boy free, there must have been a great rejoicing. Jesus goes into the house, maybe the father's house, with the boy and the father. But while he's in the house, the other disciples who did not go up with Jesus on the mount where he was transfigured, he asked, why could we not drive him out? Jesus said, this kind, this demon, whatever it was, comes out by prayer. What does this mean? It means there's no doubting. You're seeking God. Your prayer is the key. Prayer to the one who can. Prayer in the one who loves. Keeping your eyes on the Father. Saying, God, there's nothing in me. Only you can do this. No doubt can live here. We will struggle with doubt. There's a reason. We're we're force-fed doubt every day in this evil age. We are presented and offered doubt on a huge platter like a fine meal, tempting and tasty. We are compelled to doubt. We're shown nothing but doubt and unbelief. Unbelief is popular. Doubt makes more sense. Doubt is reasonable. Unbelief is practical. We're shown this every day, and every day we have to be vigilant and aggressive in rooting it out. Unbelief and doubt can be subtle. It can be placed in our minds. We have no idea. There's a movie called Inception. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <clears throat> it's about where uh, these people can go into another person's dream and they can steal secrets in their minds or whatever. Well, the, uh, the, the plot of the movie is that they need to place an idea that did not originate with a person. The main character played by Leonardo DiCaprio placed an idea in his wife's mind that her world was not real when they were in the dream state. And she eventually, when she woke up, committed suicide because she believed that idea. Her world was not real. Interesting movie. But then I started to realize this is how the enemy operates. He wants to tell you something. He will attack your identity. He'll say, you're worthless. You're You're not good enough. Why try? That is, how, that is contrary to how God sees you and loves you. All the enemy wants you to do is doubt what he has said to you. Root it out every day. The enemy, remember, has no authority. Christ has all authority. Root out the lies of the enemy and live in the truth of God's word. This is the truth. Believe his word and do not doubt. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. It is true. You're faithful. You're amazing, God. And I praise you. I ask now that as we prepare for communion, that we will truly honor you. In Jesus' name.